We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And Chris, it's Patriots Week. Yeah, one of our favorite weeks of the year. But uh, why don't we talk about something first before we jump into the preview? Let's talk about Saturday. Ooh. So what happened on Saturday? Harambe. <laughs> so Saturday I got together with uh I got together this week is important. It's important for a lot of reasons. Obviously the Buffalo Bills, the the all the divisional implications, but it's really important for something much bigger than that. Much bigger than that by my own in terms of my own petty personal interests. Um for let me do this. Let me crack a fresh one here as we talk about this. So we did a live stream with hashtag sports. On Saturday. You did a live stream. I, I did a live stream. And Chris donate Harambe on the panel. Chris, that was one of the funniest. First of all, I, I love it, you. It doesn't matter what, like, I don't know if you can, if you can, uh, like, minimize the super chat, like, feature, like, we only take super chats if you give 20 bucks. I still would have done it for 20 bucks. <laughs> because he wanted all the viewers to see the fact that yeah, he called me Harambe. Because if you do a super chat, if you pay, it'll show up on the screen. So I wanted that to show up on the screen. <laughs> it was, it was for, nice of you guys to invite Harambe. Yeah, it was like, who let Harambe on here? So we got together. And during the conversation, I talked about how I drive cover one Greg Thompson nuts. I drive him nuts. Here's why. 
again, like I, I think a couple weeks ago, Chris, was it that I had the diatribe about how our content creation community is way better than anything like actual journalists have mm-hmm. because we're not in competition with each other. We're all actually friends that bounce ideas off each other. Yep. We get together away from content creation and just get hammered and talk nonsense. Is this the bet or is this later? No, this is the bet. Okay, we're going over the bet. We're going to go over the bet. So I alluded to the fact that, well, first of all, I I kind of broke down the fourth wall, which is something our podcast does, I think, more so than most. Correct. And I explained to people that for all of you on Twitter who are mad at me, for my game day takes, my hot takes, my just detritus towards the team, you know, when I'm half in the bag, sometimes all the way in the bag, sometimes slipping out the hole that's been cut in the bottom of the bag. Whether we win or lose, I there's one person who falls on the sword for all of you because you see the things I tweet and you get mad at that. You should see what's going on in Greg Thompson's DMs. Greg Thompson is a person. Well, and also, there, I mean, there, there's other group chats I'm a part of. Yeah, that you guys have kind of kind of Gre- caught strays in. Greg is very level-headed, but for whatever reason, I think it might be because you're Puerto Rican, but you just hit that nerve. No, what it is is to hear him explain it. He goes, Drew, I've met you. You play dumb. He even said it during the live stream. He goes, Drew plays dumber than he actually is, which is true to a certain extent. It can be. You do look like a gorilla, (laughs) which is why I called you Harambe. So the bar is set low already. He's like... You're a person who I view as being intelligent about this topic. So when you get stupid about it, it jars me to a point where I'm forced. I'm like, my gut check reaction is to respond. I can't let this stand. He goes, because if you were just some idiot in my mentions on Twitter, I would ignore you like rain. But instead, you're a person who I believe is smart about these things. So when I see you being stupid, and when you're being stupid directly to me, I can only abide it for so long. So on game days when things aren't going well, there's a lot of times where I'm just wearing Greg out in his DMs. Because, again, reasonable guy who's very well-spoken, has a good way of framing things, and eventually he just snaps. And I know, but, but Chris also, I can use that to bait him. Yeah, I've been itching for a good bet. I've been itching for something to hang my head on for the rest of this season. And Greg gave it to me this week. He finally got pissed off that I was mad about the team, mad about the way that that game ended, mad about the way that our offense has conducted itself and just the longevity of what this team has been producing despite this tidal wave of injuries. And so where we landed, stake bet 2.0. The stake bet now between myself and Greg Thompson of Cover One is that he took the over, Chris, because we, I, I, my argument was when the division, like this is the most important slate of football and the Bills are just living and breathing by Josh Allen's hand. He's getting really not a lot of help from his offensive coordinator. He's got a lot of young pieces like James Cook who are doing nice things right up until they make a mistake that mm-hmm. almost gets them killed. He's getting no help. I don't trust Dorsey enough to orchestrate a meaningful offense down the stretch. Who, let's face it, he's also a rookie. His stamp, so Greg, having had enough of my shit, 
was like, listen, asshole, put your money where your mouth is because I'm tired of you fighting. Like, so now he and I fight for about a half hour. Finally, he goes, I'm fucking sick of this. Here we go. Put it up. Four and a half games. Four and a half is the line. I'll take the over between Bill's divisional wins and playoffs. Chris, how many divisional games do we have left? Four. Which means that he taking the over means that Greg thinks the Bills will will sweep our divisional slate and win our very first playoff game, regardless of when it comes. Or we could drop a division game and then win two in the playoffs, right? Yeah. That's it. I like, I like Greg's chances here. I, listen, here's the thing. I take the bet. Of course I took the under. The reality is, is that regardless of who, like, Chris, if Greg wins, don't I also win? Sure. If, if, if somehow the Bills drop the ball here and we all end up very painfully disappointed, or let's say they drop two divisional games and then they run the table and go to the Super Bowl. D- the, how many wins does it take in the NFL postseason? Like in hockey, it's what, 16? Mm-hmm. How many wins does it take to get to a Lombardi in the postseason? Well, if, you, if you were a wild card team. Four. Wild card, divisional, championship, Super Bowl. So realistically, the Bills could still win a Lombardi beat the Jets and I'm still the loser of this bet. Yeah. (laughs) I still win. I still win. I don't lose in any outcome of this other than the fact that Greg Thompson gets a free dinner and I get to celebrate my team being great. Like realistically, I like this, but for the sake of the argument, I love the fact that that's on the books. I like the fact that that's something that I now get to tweet at him about for <laughs> the course of the next month of football. <laughs> and we get our first step down the road towards that this week against the New England Patriots. And with that, this is our week 13 preview. Buffalo Bills versus the New England Patriots. The time, 8.15 p.m., the place, Foxborough, Massachusetts, over there at Gillette Stadium. The weather looks good. Clear skies, low 40s. No precipitation in the forecast. Uh, moderate wind, like 10, 12 miles an hour. Tell me that's not ideal football. Seems like some good football weather. What do we got the line at, Chris? Minus five. The Bills Buffalo. are minus five? All right. I don't know who the crew is yet. Footballzebras.com has not, they haven't posted their weekly assignments yet. On the call, L. Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet? Yep. What do you think of Kirk Herbstreet's coverage? He's one of the best. So do you like him in the NFL? Because I've seen people go both ways on him. Well, it's kind of tough because when you get the Thursday night game with them, it usually starts at the end of September, and then hockey starts. So Thursdays, I'm watching hockey in October. I'm not watching Thursday night football. So I like so you haven't heard a lot of no. I I watched the Chiefs and Chargers to start like the original the first. I guess first ever prime game, just so I could see the broadcast and how all that works. But I, I don't think that he's Collinsworth level bad. Like I don't think he's that reviled by people who are watching the broadcast. 
But there have been times where they've pointed out that they're like, look, at he's double dipping. He's doing a ton of college football. Yeah. And then he's stepping outside of that briefly to do some football work. Yeah. Some mainstream NFL football work. There's times he'll say things during a broadcast that you can tell he just cribbed something from a box score somewhere. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, that's not a real stat. That guy just had he had one good game a week ago, so you're calling him a prolific runner. When in reality, his yards after the contact are dog shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, for those that might not know, Thursday's game, yes, it is on Amazon Prime. But if you do live here locally in Buffalo, you can find it on the ABC ABC affiliate. So it'll be on WKBW Channel 7. I had a question for you. So do you think every market gets an opportunity to do that? Yes, every market has that okay, for Thursday so, Night Prime. So every market, <clears throat> the home team and the away team. Have it on a local affiliate. Okay. Well, then why is everybody crying about this whole Prime thing? They're like, well, I don't want to have an app, and I don't want well, to have to go to... If you live in Dallas, Texas, you don't get WKBW on your channel. Sure, but... That's this. You're never going to see a Bills local game. So why are you upset? I mean, I guess I'm just looking at this going. The Amazon ratings are tanking. They're terrible. Yes, but football it's, rankings. But it has nothing to do. The with home it. cities have access to the game. Everyone has that. I could. We're going to have a uh, get together Thursday to watch the game. I will have it on WKBW. If I wanted to, I could put it on Prime. If you wanted to be two plays behind the whole time. I don't know about that. I, I rock we'll Fubo to, TV. I rock Fubo TV, and I can tell you firmly that I am at least a play and a half behind at all times. Well, yeah, that's versus over the air if you yep. had an antenna. So yes. I had to get the antenna out, and now that's how we watch Thanksgiving football is with the antenna because I wasn't going to have my phone ruining the game for me. Yeah, and you get better picture. Yep. So no, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's also fun that at least everybody here locally can still watch it for free. Yeah. Because it does seem kind of like a dick move by the NFL to be like, well, local market, we know you watch this for free most of the time. Eh, some of you have to kick rocks. I'm yeah. assuming most bars and restaurants have access to that, right? Like a like an antenna? Yeah. But then you'd have to have an antenna for every team, for every TV in the bar. And that's why this is, that's where this gets interesting for me. The bars that want to host games like this, how do they set that up? Or what you could do is if you have a bar and all of your um, TV cables go to the same spot, then you just get some massive splitter. So you put the antenna on the in and then however many cables you can fit on the out. And then it'll... Wouldn't you have to amplify that signal, though? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I don't know. God. So complicated just to watch just to watch a shitty Thursday night football game between the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. Injuries, as we get ahead of this one. New England, they've got some good ones. Christian Barmore. I think that's one of the most significant. Uh, defensive tackle who wrecked a couple games for us last year who was like like he was a major presence against the bills he's out with a knee injury he's on the ir already offensive tackle marcus cannon or is uh christian simonelli's called marcus cannon Mm -hmm. Uh, out he's on the ir with concussion how bad does a concussion have to be that you go on the ir for it like he's probably done for the year right it could be isaiah win 
questionable interior offensive lineman for the Patriots. Starting center David Andrews, he's back at practice around things. They think he might be ready to go. But here's a question, Chris, and this is something Bills fans flirted with last week. What's worse? A center who's at 75, who's your most talented guy, but he's at 70%. Or a guy off the bench who's at 100% who maybe isn't, doesn't have quite the ceiling, but he's still an NFL caliber football player. What would you rather do? Because Greg Van Rotten didn't get the Bills killed. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't chance it. Do you think they should play an injured David, David Andrews? I wouldn't chance it. All right. And I, I again, I think the biggest one, running back Damian Harris, questionable. He left the Vikings game on crutches and didn't practice on Sunday. He's it's it's not looking like he's going to be running the football on Thursday, which means they're down to one functional between the tackles outside the tackles running back. Meanwhile, the Bills, Chris, stop me if you've heard this before. A million inactives. For practice the other day. Well, they they got an illness. An illness was going through at least today. How, how many people are going to get sick in that? What what is this? Two weeks in a row now? Three weeks? Yeah, yeah. I wonder what the what it is. It's not COVID related, allegedly. It's not mono. No, Sam Darnold plays for Carolina. <laughs> I don't know what it. I guess it's the flu, maybe flu like symptoms, or maybe they all went out to eat and it's food poisoning. <laughs> What restaurant in Buffalo would deliberately give Bills players food poisoning? I don't know about deliberately, but maybe unintentionally. Yeah, who would do that? I don't know. I don't know. Think about some of the cesspools that these guys go hang out at. <laughs> I bet it was Strikers. <laughs> Strikers is just down the street from my house. Yeah. I, I refuse to walk through the front door. Just like the uh, my, my wife keeps asking about the 240 Lounge. She goes, 240 Lounge. It's this bar right down the street. We, it looks like a bar bar, not like a fancy bar, but like a corner bar. We should go down there. And I have to try to tell her, honey, I've been in there. It's called. It used to be called Pappas's. I was banned for life <laughs> from Pappas's thanks to a, a, Dave, a Dave K situation. Nice. Yeah. Guy in a Halloween costume gets knocked out. He's flopping around like a fish in the parking lot. We all get banned for life. I may or may not have been involved. It's a whole thing. It's just, it's ugly. Kicked out. And the curly-headed bartender there who worked there for like 40 years. Curly-headed bartender? Was it Travis Trelone? <laughs> no, I can't remember his name. Guys, call in if you know his name. Uh, he, he would see me coming through the door. I'd put $40 down on the bar, and he would hand it back to me and go, nah, not tonight. And <laughs> just go somewhere like it was never like Chris. It was never a you better get the hell out of here. It was just a your money's no good here. <laughs> <laughs> your money's no good here, sir. Von Miller out with a knee injury. Obviously, that's big. Yep. I think one of the things of note, something we talked about with Kyle Trimble at the end of our last show, we're probably going to see more of White Neelam. They practiced in full. Good. Right? Sounds good. I think that's good specifically with the IR designation of Christian Benford. We're we're not going to see him again until week 17. Like, he's not coming back till the playoffs. This team has to have an answer. 
as far as depth cornerback. Now, hopefully Xavier Rhodes has been around enough that they trust him to get out there and go. And then you look at the you look at the trenches. Greg Rousseau, questionable. AJ Epinesa, questionable. Mitch Morse and Deion Dawkins, all of them with ankle injuries. Everybody except for Deion Dawkins in that group practiced. That's a good sign, right? Yeah. I think Ed Oliver's the one who spilled the tea. He was like, "Oh no, we're gonna get, we're gonna get, uh, we're gonna get uh, what they call him? Who? They were like, we're gonna get Rousseau back, Epineza. Yeah, we got Epineza coming back. Like we got these guys coming back, so we're gonna be fine. So I think that inside the locker room, they kind of know those two guys are gonna play. That makes me feel a little bit better, doesn't it? Yeah." In terms of your ability to stop a team that's going to give you a heavy dose of rushing attack. <sighs> At the same time, it's not ideal because you're missing the player that you paid all of that money for that was supposed to and has transformed your defense. Has or has not Von Miller come up with good big plays, big pressures and key moments? Yeah. So the Bills are going back to Foxborough where Sean McDermott's 2-2 two and two with Josh Allen as his quarterback, and where last season our divisional fortune basically took a dramatic change for the better, but it was the game that everything hinged on. This season, both teams are different, but the stakes are just as high. If you go to 538.com and you look at the playoff predictor, a Buffalo win in this game, apropos of nothing else that goes on in the division, improves our division title odds by 12% and puts our overall playoff odds at over 99%. Cool. A Buffalo loss drops our odds for the one seed in the AFC to single digits, our division odds to just 37%, and our overall playoff odds to under 90% for the very first time this entire season. And, but Chris, that's not nothing. This no. is an incredibly meaningful football game. And the Buffalo Bills have to show up for it. And as we're playing the NFL's biggest historical cheaters, we're rolling out a promotion for the holidays. Kevin Bryant, author of Spies on the Sidelines, guest on the show. Chris, that was a fun show to do. Kind of an off-the-cuff, different from what we normally do. Yes. It was interesting. He's gifted us with a pair of codes good for a free audiobook of his work. And for the record, for the person in your life who you know likes football, likes football history, and for whom you like them enough to buy them a Christmas gift, but at the same time, you don't want to spend more than the cost of a, like, I don't even want to call it a nice bottle of bourbon. Yeah. Chris, what's our, what, what's our rule? It's got to be in a glass bottle. $40 glass bottle? Yeah. For less than that, you can give that person a hardcover copy of Spies on the Sideline. It's, it, I guarantee you, it's, it promises to be more interesting than whatever the hell they currently have sitting on their coffee table. I, I Googled it, Chris. Do you know what the most popular coffee table books in America are? The one that Kramer did? Yes, the coffee table book about, about coffee, coffee tables. tables. <laughs> Birds and flowers dominate the coffee table book sphere. Spies on the sidelines, it's already more interesting than any of that, isn't it? Yeah. By default. 
So guys, his work's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart. It just it makes for good reading. It looks nice on the table. There's a lot of fun stuff to go over in there. And again, for the football nut in your life, it makes for a great Christmas gift that also costs you less, less than a good bottle of whiskey. Chris, yeah, I challenged you before the podcast to come up. We have two free codes that we're going to give away to these free audiobook versions of his work. I challenge you to come up with some sort of a trivia question that our listeners can answer in order to get themselves a copy of this. What do you got for me? Which former Buffalo Bill or current Buffalo Bill was born in Smith Center, Kansas? Holy shit. That's what you can. All right. All right. Listen, you're the producer. I'm just the host. What do I know? I'm over here drinking a black IPA. It's a great question. It's a great question. Guys. Tweet us at Rockpile Report if and when you figure out what the hell Chris is talking about. Out of all the correct answers we get, we'll pick two of you, and you'll get a free audiobook copy of Kevin's work. It's for nothing. Yep. All because we're, I mean, obviously it's Patriots Week. We're playing the biggest cheaters in the NFL. It only makes sense that we would roll this out this week. Yep. Guys, I love it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So here to talk about what is the start of the most important part of the Buffalo Bills 2022 season, one of our favorite, one of our longest tenured guests on this podcast, Mr. Mark Schofield, who, I got to be honest, it's it's interesting not having to plug you for 50 different things now when I try to describe to our listeners what it is you do. How's SB Nation treating you, brother? It's, it's fantastic, and it's great to be here. I love Bill's Week because I do the whole circuit. You know, I was on with a couple <laughs> of guys on Sunday night. I'm on with you guys. I was on ESPN Rochester Danger Battaglia, I'm going to do, you know, Kevin, his show tomorrow. I mean, I, I love Bill's week. SB Nation, guys, they're letting me write about Formula One. <laughs> like, how ridiculous is that? I've read in about like Ferrari fire and their team principal. And, and, and the best part of it is it's it's a kissed in myself double team because oh, we're trying Jesus. to like build a little Formula One. They let the two of you get together on a project? Yeah. Jesus. How scary is that? Before you know it, there's going to be a Formula One history podcast with me and Kissed. 
Which, I mean, you know. It sounds like a good idea, but as you're making the your rounds around the Bill's circuit of podcasts and radio this week, just make sure you say no to Nate Geary. <laughs> oh, I'm ducking that guy left and right. Like, I mean, I think he's texted me like three times already this week, and I said, like, "No, I'm 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 doing something. I'm I'm coaching baseball." Then he's like, "Dude, it's after Thanksgiving." No, I mean. I'm, I'll probably, you know, I'll be nice to Nate. He's been he'll nice be, to me. I'm sure he'll be on Sports Talk Saturday. That yeah, he'll he'll yeah. be sitting in there. Unless yeah. he, uh, unless he, hire, uh, unless he uh, what do you call that? Uh, he big time Zoom goes with like Evan Lazar. That's, he, you know, Evan's great. Look, Evan's good people. I mean, hey, he's got the Patriots.com attached to his name. I yeah. mean, I'm well, just, And that's I'm what I was going to say. Mark, I was going to say, is he? Is he a good guy? Like he's got Patriots.com tied to tied to his Is he a good guy? He's a know. good guy. Yeah. He he worked his way up. Yeah. Okay. I, I love I love Evan. Evan's good people. No, he is. He and he and he's incredibly intelligent. He's insightful. Yep. But we we love you, Mark. You're, you no, you've been man. you've been with us since we were it, nobodies. It's, it's and I mean, we're still relatively nobodies. So that's saying something. So am I. I mean, come on. But I mean, it's it's funny to hear the word tenure associated with my name. That's something I yes. never expected. Exactly. Yeah. So your team plays. So so let's talk about Bills Patriots Week. Um, it's funny. We started off the show. We did a uh, promo contest for a book about spies on the sidelines, and uh, by Kevin Bryant. Uh, he actually came into the podcast with us earlier in the year. We're giving away audiobook copies of it this week. And this was, there was no better time to break it out than Patriots week, right? Because the, so in terms of a bunch of cheaters, <laughs> I love, I love the way he's, he's just cracking up right now, Chris. Like we just ambush him with the shit all the time. It's, we, we hit below. It's not like when you guys pop the champagne on me. Exactly. Tom Brady's retirement. That, that'll go down as one of my finest moments in podcasts. Like, <laughs> um, no, it I was legendary. That, that, was that, legit that, legendary. That's one of those like bookmark moments for me. Yeah. So your team, see the Bills, we've played on Thanksgiving a bunch recently. You guys, not so much. The way you watch football, the way you conduct yourself during a football game, the, how what your annual Thanksgiving, the, what is it like? having a New England Patriots game on in the Schofield home on Thanksgiving. Well, interestingly enough, you know, I, I mean, I can't remember. So there was one year where they played Detroit. So it was the early game. My family, we tend to do Thanksgiving, the meal at like one in the afternoon. We're like one of those rare families that like eats on the early side. You know, we eat the meal at like one and then it's dessert at like four. And the great thing we host every year everybody's gone by like five, like everybody sort of clears out. Like, you know, people start showing up at like 10, 10, 15, 10, 30. So I'm up early to start getting everything going, but like people are gone. And so when they're playing at night, like the butt fumble game, like this past week, everybody's cleared out and I'm sitting there. I got my whiskey in hand and I'm just kind of chilling the year that they played Detroit. So they were in the early game. That was the messy one. Because I'm sitting there, I'm doing the Martha Stewart, like basting the turkey every 25 minutes and all that stuff. And I'm trying to see what's happening. And, and that gets to be a little much. And thankfully for me, that was pre-sports writer Mark. That was lawyer Mark. So it didn't really, I didn't have to be glued to it. But now the, the times when they've played at night on Thanksgiving and I'm, you know, in, in this realm, it's been easy. You know, it's so I guess the other question is for you guys when they're playing the early game, because I, I, I like I was on with uh, Greg and Aaron from Cover One, and they were saying like, "Look, 
everybody's downstairs cooking and we're trying to like watch this and like do a show like post game. Like, yeah, no, that's a, those that's guys tough. are fucking lunatics. I, you can't put me behind a microphone immediately after a game. You see what I do to Twitter. You see what I do to our social media yeah. follow. You can't put me behind a mic. What are you nuts? Especially not live. Not yeah. live. I, we'll, we'll get kicked off the whole platform. They'll kick yeah, us the off FCC YouTube. is going to have some issues. They'll take away our Twitter account. They'll kick us off YouTube. They might even try to deport me. Like <laughs> I was born here. They might try to deport me. So it's funny you say that because our, we were talking about during our recap show this week. If it, what saved my family's and my entire my my family's Thanksgiving was that I have a brother who is disappointingly vegan. And he's decided he, him and his girlfriend wanted portobello mushrooms. Now I've never grilled a mushroom in my life. That's not a thing I would do. Not in my, not in my house. What are you right. talking about? When, when I, when it came up, I laughed at first. I go, what are you joking? Honey, you mean I got to grill mushrooms? What, what are you talking about? So I made him come out with me, but I was so mad at the team and I'd done a good job of keeping my profanity in check that I was like, you know what? It's time. We're going to cook these damn mushrooms. You come with me because I don't know. I don't know a damn thing about this. And we stood on the driveway and I missed the entire end of the game. And I do not regret it because I think I, I would have had that gone sideways, had that so gone we, any other way. I would have. Why are you so frustrated right now? Why are you so frustrated? I guess I got a question. Why aren't you frustrated? Like, as a Patriots fan, I'm frustrated for all the reasons that you're not right now as we're talking about this. Like, I'm frustrated because I see this as we have a team that actually has all the pieces to be one of the NFL's best offenses. They're just not getting it done because they're not being put in the right place at the right time. Like, I gave Chris an analogy when I got in here earlier about uh, players, you know, a simple play from the Thanksgiving game with J- James Cook not being in the right place. He's technically in the right spot, but he's not playing to his quarterback. So his quarterback is either going to he jump cuts away from where his quarterback should be throwing it. It was a whole thing. They're doing all the right things on paper, but they're overly simplistic and they're making these small mistakes just in the way it's all orchestrated and designed. And it's holding us back. That's my frustration is because I know these players are are good. I know they can produce touchdowns in the NFL. They're just not being organized to do it. And I feel like similarly, that's kind of been where the Patriots have been living for the last two and a half months of football, right? Right. I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, don't you think, though, at some level... The issue, the, they might be, these two teams might be having similar issues, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, but they're for two wildly different reasons. Like, I, I can, as an outsider looking at Buffalo, I can look at a team that Allen's hurt, so he barely practices the week before the Buffalo game. Then you have the strange set of circumstances where you're having to, like, go to Detroit to play a home game. And then you got another short week where you're playing on Thanksgiving. Like, if there are issues that you need to sort of iron out to get people in the right place, it's hard to do that with all of that. I, I think the issue in New England is, A, they're not as talented, like on the offensive side of the ball. They're just not as talented as Buffalo. B, they're on, what, they're like third iteration of what they want their offense to look like since training camp because, you know, it was the outside zone, wide zone Shanahan stuff to <laughs> what they started the year with to the zappy little – interlude to now what they're trying to figure out on the offensive side of the ball, particularly in the passing game. Like, I think they're going through similar things. I think you're right about that. But I just think it's two wildly different sets of issues and causes for that. And where would you rather be? The, t- the fan of the team that, all right, it's been a weird travel schedule and our QB was banned up, or maybe we're just not that talented. Like, where would you rather be? <laughs> 
Chris, why is it the Patriots guest who's trying to talk? He's doing a better job of talking sense to me than this anyone is all psych- This is all psychological, though, because then I'm going to drop the hammer on you and tell you why New England's winning Thursday. <laughs> well, I've told... I've told Drew this several times right now. Drew is, he's the guy that uh, just goes through the dating cycle and finds like the worst things to stop dating somebody about. It's like. She's using her mouth open. I can't have that. Oh, no. She's an Aries. I can't do an Aries. Yeah, but she's got a job, a career, a good credit score, her own place. What? She chooses her mouth open. I can't have that. Yeah, it's like every it's like the subplot of every Seinfeld, right? She's yes. got man hands. She's got man hands. She's got man yeah. hands. Drew just can't deal with us. He doesn't like how we're winning right now. Right now, our offense, in my opinion, has man hands. That's it. That's the best way to put it. So when we talk about the Patriots on offense, and this is where I want to start actually kind of breaking this game down in terms of what we're going to see. We've joked that you guys are Sisyphus. Just eternally pushing the rock uphill this season and yeah. never really finding the top. And like you look at it statistically ahead of the Vikings game. Four straight weeks with less than three hundred combined yards on offense. That's that's not good in the like in an NFL where the rule book is designed to help you guys produce more. 23rd in third down conversion percentage, 25th in passing attempts per game, which means you're not even really trying. To, like you're taking the ball out of the air in the, like the most prolific passing era of NFL history. We were joking a week ago, Chris, about the full house and how you guys brought that formation out of like that's the play that's the section of plays in Madden that Madden players won't use because they look at it and go. Pfft. Okay, this is here because it existed one time in 1970. No one's actually running this shit. And the Patriots did it in real football. So I was kind of pointing to that as like, this is a desperate team. They're trying to find anything that can spark this offense to productivity. And yet you went out there and found it this past week. So what was different against the Vikings that you found that wasn't there for the previous month of football? I mean, the pithy answer is they played a defense that was starting a bunch of like third string guys in the secondary. I mean, I think that was part of it. It needs that context. I do think in the passing game, the under center play action passing game kind of clicked. You know, the touchdown to Henry, for example, um, you know, the seam route up the right side. That's the kind of stuff that wasn't clicking for them in weeks past. And it worked on that play. You know, but I do think that like, this is part of the big problem with them, which is like figuring out what they want their passing game to look like. Is they're caught between trying to get some RPO stuff in there because that's what Mac Jones is comfortable with, trying to get some spread stuff in there because he's kind of good at that, and trying to get some under center stuff because you know under center play action is probably their strength given their best offensive weapons in the passing game are guys are going to work over the middle, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Henry, and so piecing all that together is kind of interesting. You know, I do think. It was very interesting the way you started with the sort of the Sisyphus reference because as you were going through the statistics, Drew, I thought the one you were going to go with was red zone touchdown percentage. 31st in the NFL. They are yeah. just ahead of the Denver Broncos and behind the Indianapolis Colts. And in, the, and in the year of our Lord 2022, that is not good company. No, That's how, not good company. How funny know? is and, it? How funny is it, Mark? You just as a lover of football – also of things that are petty and also funny like us, which is why you like our show. Um, the fact that there's a there's a there's a group of guys that they're charting how many touchdown passes 
Russell Wilson has thrown over the course of the season compared to how many toilets his mansion has, and he's not close yet. He's sweating that one. He's st- he might he's not get there. One. There's legitimate fear that he may not reach it by the end of the season. And, and if you haven't seen this, folks, he's got 12 bathrooms in his house, and it's a sweat. You know, we're in week 13 of the NFL season, and Russell Wilson might not reach that number. It's crazy to think about. Yeah. Hey, Nate Hackett, though. I mean, look at the coaching tree he came from. How could he fail? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who saw Get, that one coming? And, you know what's amazing about that? Seattle. Yes. Seattle is built to, like, run the next, like, two drafts. They, you, you, you could be picking, like, second. You, you couldn't have written it any better no. for a coach. Like, I thought Pete Carroll was on his way to getting fired. He's got a new lease on life now. And he's like, I'm gonna run the NFC West. And he's got Russell Wilson to thank for it. Yep. He's like, look Thanks, at Russ. I let you cook, you. baby. You cook for us. So as we talk about the Patriots, though, I you're talking about quarterbacks. Let's talk about Mac Jones. Regression here in 2022. By and large, like he showed life in this game. His downfield passing was something that we haven't seen. Like, to your point, stuff that wasn't working finally clicked for once. But it just seems like, what do you think? Failure of the scheme or is Jones just not as individually talented as just like the the people who watched him in Alabama and the, the, the last year's Patriots fan base that was adamant that he deserved to be at the Pro Bowl? They were like, no, no, he's a Pro Bowler for sure. Is he maybe not? Is his ceiling maybe a little bit lower than people gave him credit for last season? Yeah, Drew, I mean, it, that word, Seelan, that was the one that was like, it, it was a curse word last year because, you know, when people in New England would say, oh, Mac Jones is the guy, people outside of New England would say, well, yeah, well, what's his Seelan really look like? And that got everybody sort of upset. But that was kind of last year was the Mac Jones argument, right? And I've said this before with you guys. It talked with people around the league last year and into this year. It was, yeah, this is what we expected, right? He was the pro-ready guy. He wasn't going to make a ton of mistakes. If you drafted him and started him early, it wasn't going to be like this absolute disaster. But talk to me in two years. Talk to me in three years. Because what does that ceiling actually look like? What does he look like two or three years down the road? And I think last year in looking at him and trying to do it through like you know neutral eyes – Maybe that ceiling was a little bit better, higher than we thought, but it was still going to be an issue. I think what's happened this year is twofold. I think, look, the Matt Patricia offensive system, offensive philosophy, all the changes that went into what they were trying to do on the offensive side of the ball, while it might be sort of figured out to this point, when it takes you past Thanksgiving to do that, it's hard for any quarterback. It's extra hard for a second-year quarterback because now from Mac Jones' perspective, he was in an Alabama offense, a Josh McDaniels offense, and now whatever the heck it is under Matt Patricia, that's three offenses in three years. Like That's hard for any quarterback. So you've got that issue to deal with, and you're seeing some of the like offshoots of that with those red zone numbers and other situations. But I also think from Jones' perspective, are there things that he has to do better? Absolutely. Like You can watch him in the games where it's going well. Like his two best games this year are probably the Minnesota game Thursday night and the first two and say three quarters of the Baltimore game where it's like, yeah, this is what we want. Downfield throws. He's aggressive. He's using his eyes really well. He's seeing the field well. And then for whatever reason, the last quarter and a half of that game against Baltimore or late Thursday night when they needed to make some throws, it's just not there. You know, he's locking on to targets. He's locking on to concepts. He's slow to come off things. He's not timing his drops up with the wrong concepts. When you're looking at the numbers, I mean, I I just look at this like he's when under pressure, 
He's one oh, that's of the, where it's been the worst. He's one of the worst quarterbacks in yeah. football. And you're talking with like one touchdown to five interceptions when pressured, which is happening more, him being pressured. And on throws of more than 10 yards, if you take the Vikings game out of the equation, right? Six interceptions to three touchdown passes, that's bad. That's not <laughs> good. good. So I guess when it comes to this matchup with Buffalo, and you talk about what we're going to probably see from an offensive perspective, Mac gets pre- he was pressured on more than 30% of his dropbacks. Like that's not a winning recipe for a quarterback who struggles in the face of pressure, especially against safeties and linebackers who cover well. How do you think the Patriots are going to try to solve that deficiency of their offense? I mean, they want to keep this in a positive game script situation as much as possible. And it starts with running the football. I mean, look, I, I've checked the weather. It's not going to be like that Monday night game was last year, you know, when it was 60 mile an hour wind gust. So they're going to have to throw it more than three times, but they're going to want to off of play action. They're going to want to in some, you know, positive situations, second and four, things like that. You know, they don't want to turn this into a shootout. They want, they don't want to turn this game into Mac Jones versus Josh Allen. Like that's not where they want to be. They want to turn this game into Ramondre Stevenson versus Matt Milano. Like they want this to be a, we're going to run the football. We're going to work some play action stuff backs, our backs and tight ends versus Buffalo's linebackers. And interestingly enough, that's kind of been say the late stage Brady years through now, that's kind of been where they wanted to play these games, you know, working through the backs, attacking the second level, you know, trying to control this game as best as you can. They want this to be a rock fight. They don't want it to be a shootout. They want it to be a game where they don't have to throw it to win it. So can they do that? That's the tough thing because we knew that's where they wanted to be last year. They were able to do it in the first game because of the weather. The second two, they weren't able to do that because they couldn't on the defensive side of the ball get the stops that they needed to, certainly not in the, th- in the playoff game, but even in the second game. Well, it's going to be harder without Damian Harris. I mean, if he can't yeah. go, then that the, the, Ramondre Stevenson's a great talent. You guys got to steal with him in the draft. Yeah. But again, it gets harder when you can't roll that one-two punch if that's how your offense is going to try to flow. On the other side of the ball, talk about the defense a little bit before we let you go here. For all the shit that's been wrong with you guys this season, your defense is, once again, the thing that is kind of, it's the glue that's holding this whole disaster together. Yeah, I mean, but there's a pretty big matzo ball of a butt that's coming here, right? Mm-hmm. You look at the quarterbacks that they've beaten. Yes. Okay? <laughs> yes, let's Mitchell talk Trubisky, about this. Jared Goff, Jacoby Brissett, Zach Wilson twice, and Sam Ellinger. Like, yes, their defense statistically is one of the best in the league. DVOA loves this defense. Pressure with four, they're one of the best in the league at it. You know, sacks with four, all that kind of stuff. All the things you want to do in a defense in this year, 2022, they're doing it at an extremely high level. But the problem is when they faced talented quarterbacks, they lost to Aaron Rodgers. And speaking of, you know, we talked about the Colts and the Broncos as like, you know, sort of competent, like colleagues you don't want to be listed among. When you're beating Aaron Rodgers in 2022, it's not really the W. I mean, when you're losing to Aaron Rodgers this year, it's not really the kind of thing you want to see. You know, they lost, obviously, to Kirk Cousins the other night. You know, they lost a couple weeks ago to Justin Fields. Like, their defense has put up good numbers, but it needs that little bit of context. I, I think the thing, you know, thinking about specifically this game is 
the the Stefan Diggs question. Like, like, what do they do with Stefan Diggs? Well, it, are you guys still in love with your man concepts? Because this has been one of the things. Well, that's that, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Drew. This is the year of too high, right? We're playing cover two, we're cover four, quarters, quarter, quarter, half. We're going to play zone, all that stuff. While the league has gone in that direction, Patriots have gone back to single high. Cover one, cover three, a lot of man coverage. Wow. And, right. and so the question becomes, do we see that? On Thursday night with Justin Jefferson, which might be a little wink towards what we're going to see this Thursday night, you saw a lot more zone, a lot more two, a lot more four, a lot more three, you know, trying to sort of pass Jefferson off between players. When they did have situations where his man coverage, yeah, was Jonathan Jones. Belichick trusts him completely. He was the guy for Tyree Kill. He was going to be the guy for Justin Jefferson at times. He might get the man coverage assignments against Diggs, but do we see more zone like we saw? I think the zone coverage would be for a different reason. I think part of it on this Thursday night would be you want to keep some eyes on Josh Allen. 100%. But we might see more zone than we have in weeks past from this team. And do you think that they fare better in zone than they do in man? Because I, what I've found between defenses is that if you structurally are built philosophically in the mind of your head coach and your GM, which unfortunately for you guys are the same guy, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you guys, yeah. it's the same guy who keeps drafting the same wide receivers and the same. So it's the same guy who keeps picking his own archetypes to fit what he thinks his scheme is. He likes those man corners. Do you notice that there's any kind of a drop off between trying to shift away from man to zone? There hasn't been this year, okay. but I also think part of that is who they've gone up against, right? Yes. Like, when you can spot drop against Sam Ellinger, get pressure with four, and know that he's going to make a mistake, you look great because it's like, oh, hey, you're dialing some stuff up. But when you're spot dropping against Josh Allen, who has shown over the years that he can start picking apart zone conference, zone co- coverage schemes and concepts, that's going to be a different test. And so, you know, I, I expect to see more zone just because I think that's the way to approach this Bills offense. You know, maybe some sort of safety rotation, you know, rotating the safety towards that way, going the cover two side to Stephon Diggs. So you've got sort of that hard corner and then a safety over the top. But again, get it into the mind of Bill Belichick. It's often a difficult assignment because I, as I'm sitting here saying, yeah, they'll, they'll run more zone. He might say, you know what? We're going to take Jonathan Allen. We're going to put him on an island. Or we're going to take, you know, Jack Jones. We're going to put him on an island with dedicated safety help over the top. We'll take Jonathan Jones and put him on wide receiver two and roll the dice that way. And and that's kind of where I'm splitting on this because when you guys do go heavy man, like this Bills team, Josh Allen in particular, thrives whenever he it's the reason we've sla- it's it's the reason we've killed the Miami Dolphins for so yeah. long. Yeah. Because they've invested more resources into playing man defense. And it's the one thing our team is built to really do. That McKenzie game, the McKenzie game that he had yeah. against you. Greg yeah. Thompson and I were joking around on a live stream about it on Saturday night. That the reason McKenzie has these big games against the Lions, because what the Lions do, they play man they play defense to a fault. Well, guess what? McKenzie, when you can get him downfield against man coverage, he's just too shifty for you to cover for more than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. It makes him a good downfield target. You can't do that in, like, when he's playing zone, it almost registers McKenzie as a non-factor into your offense. So by playing zone, they can slow Allen down, and they can kind of take away guys like McKenzie. They can take away a lot of things. I'm just interested to see how that's going to go and whether his process is forced to change over the course of the game. Now, there's a couple guys you guys are going to be playing without. First of all, in terms of your pass rush, Barmore. Barmore being out, to me, is huge for this game. 
Like, what do you think they're going to do to try to facilitate that interior pass rush without him? I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of Dedrick Wise kicked inside. You know, it's something that they've done this year. You know, in certainly in, you know, third and seven plus, they go with that four-man package of, you know, whether it's Godshaw or somebody else as the defensive tackle, Wise kicked inside, Boucher and Judon as your outside edge guys. What they really like to do in those third and th- you know, third and seven plus situations, then use an under front. So you've got defensive tackle on the nose, then the other two speed guys to that one side. So you've got that sort of three man overload. And then you've got Judon isolated to the other side over a tackle and it forces you to sort of slide protection away from Matthew Judon, creating that one on one situation. Now, you can obviously find some ways to deal with that. You can go half slide, you can chip and release, you can keep it tight ending. So now there are ways in the Bills are going to be missing. Deion Dawkins for this game more yeah. than like he, he's he's probably going to miss this game so how do you expect the Patriots to try to exploit that I'm, I'm assuming Judon's going to see a lot of time on that side of the line I mean you would think but like last Thursday night against the Vikings right Darisol was out and so you're thinking oh well that's exactly what they're going to do they're going to just line Judon up over the backup left tackle Brandle and go after him you saw a lot of him still over the right tackle over Brian O'Neill, who had a very good night against Matthew Judon. And so sitting here right now, like, yeah, Dawkins, is, you expect him. That's where he's going to line up. It doesn't always play out that way. Okay. Are they blitzing more to generate pressure? Because I know no. Josh Allen, because I was going to say, that's not a thing that Belichick has done no, lately. They're, I don't, I, I'm pulling up the numbers right now, but their blitz rates actually are kind of like middle of the pack this year. I mean, in, in part of it is their ability to sort of get that, you know, pressure with four to sort of be able to dial that up and sort of get after the quarterback without having to blitz. It's been a big part of what they've done. And so I think it would surprise me, especially with 17, with what he can do and sort of creating as, you know, a scrambler, pulling the ball down and getting some stuff with his legs. Like, I don't think you're going to want to blitz him. I mean, I'm, I finally got it 25% of the time they blitzed, which is like middle of the pack. Like, New York the Giants are ahead of the league with 37.8%. So they're kind of middle of the pack there. Okay. Well, then it sounds like, as far as defensively for the Patriots, one of the big pieces to this whole thing is that battle in the trenches is going to decide an awful lot of what goes on yeah. because the ripple effect of that affects their linebackers, everything else, because they're not going to commit more resources to that. No, I think that's exactly right. Like, you know, this is like so many oftentimes, right? This is a game that's going to be one of the trenches on both sides of the ball. God, Chris, does, how how does that make you feel hearing that? Knowing what we think of our defensive and offensive line, just the health of everybody. Well, I mean, I want the Bills to win, A, because I'm a fan, and B, it helps Greg Thompson. <laughs> of course it helps Greg Thompson. And of course you would root for that. Why? So you can come show up again? Yeah. Late? Wearing a Hawaiian shirt? Well, I wasn't wearing a Hawaiian shirt, but I do want to show up in the summer for you having to fork over for a bill. Yeah, everyone likes that. So before we let you go, predictions. Predictions, what do you see for a – like, Chris, the spread on this, Bills minus five. Yeah, I think it'd be. I think it's going to be a field goal game. Now, Mark, I've been saying, we've been – the last couple of weeks, Bills money line, you're almost better off taking whoever – like, you're better off taking anybody who's playing the Bills with the points. The way that Vegas is still giving us all this credit, even though we're not doing a ton to earn it. 
what are your predictions as far as let's call with the spread? Do you like the Patriots plus five? See, that five is the perfect number because I think this is a six-point game. I It's right on that. I mean, I I really think it's Buffalo 27, New England 21. Like, that's kind of what I've come down on. I think, you know, I've said this a couple of times already, New England's good enough on offense to score points, but they're not good enough to win shootouts where they have to sort of get over the top. Like, yeah, they can put 20, 21 points on the board and they can do that. But they're not going to be able to get to 30 and sort of win a shootout. They can get to 30 if it's a blowout like against Cleveland or Detroit or games like that. So I, I'm honestly, with you know, I'm tempted to take Buffalo and give the points here. And I know, again, with you're probably looking at me like I'm crazy, but probably I just you can see I, me. I am looking at you like you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's just how I feel about this game. I just I just. And maybe it's the aftermath of those two games last year that's still in the back of my mind. But I just remember going into those two games thinking the only way New England is going to win these is if they are able to have it play out like the first one where it's a rock fight. It's fought on their terms because that's the path that New England has to win this game. Buffalo can win a rock fight. They can. Like, they can do that. If it's a shootout, Buffalo can win. Like, New England just has that narrower path to victory that I think favors the Bills in this game. Mark? I, it'll be I, again. Obviously, we love you. I just don't want anything good to happen to your football team ever. Hey, there's absolute. That's one hundred percent how you should feel. There's nothing wrong with that. Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find all of the wonderful new work you're doing over at SB it's, Nation? And it's it, it's all SBNation.com. Like I said, I'm doing Formula One stuff. I'm doing World Cup stuff. I've been running numbers on you know knockout round scenarios. All World Cup long. I've got stuff coming out tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, on Army Navy. Like I, they're letting me write, they're letting me write about whatever I want to, which is kind of terrifying for them. Mark Schofield, one of our favorites. He's on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Hell of a guy. Hell, is it crazy that guys, Chris? Is it weird to you that people who do radio? Who do TV? Who do Chris? I have the phone number of someone who does Colin Cowherd. Yeah, that's uh, like. Is it weird that for this little corner of the, just like the podcast sphere that we hold, these people enjoy talking to us for some reason. I don't get it. <laughs> Neither do I. I'll level with you. I don't either. I was about to pat myself on the back, and then I'm like, no, I'm a horse's ass. I don't know why they would go out of their way. I just love it. I love that Mark makes time for us whenever we ask. Thank thank, thank God for him. Now, that leaves us with one last piece of business before we let you go tonight, and those are our keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I'm feeling strong tonight. I got a couple keys. Ah. <sighs> First of all, it's this idea that when the Patriots, because he's talking about how they rotate in and out of zone looks, man looks, they're probably going to approach us differently knowing their secondary isn't the same J.C. Jackson-led secondary that they were. Chris, think about how badly we beat them up when they had J.C. Jackson. Yeah, it's bad. And that was when they were trying to play man defense. Now they lost their most prolific man cover corner to free agency they're starting a bunch of younger players with less experience they're almost forced to play zone 
at least in a lot of circumstances. When they do decide to go man defense, Ken Dorsey has to learn a feel for that and get McKenzie downfield. We talked about it during the Thanksgiving show. Just McKenzie's his production against man defense down the field as a wide receiver, not trying to take on the Cole Beasley role where it's like, hey, I'm going to go 8 to 12. I'm going to go 8 to 12 yards from the line of scrimmage, and I'm going to sink into a soft zone and give you a safety valve that also is more than a safety valve. It's like a it's a chain-moving type pass. Isaiah McKenzie can be a guy, and we've talked about it. Around the line of scrimmage, he doesn't net you much. His yards after the catch, he can't break ta- he doesn't break tackles. His vision around in that area when there's so much traffic isn't great. He just doesn't generate much after you get the ball in his hands. But when you can get him in the actual open field, he does damage. Look at that 19-yard touchdown. Yeah. He burned that guy from jump, and there was no safety help. And Josh Allen just dropped it in the bucket and let him run underneath it. And he's fast enough that he can track it. But you, when, if and when the Patriots go to man situations, that's where you have to use McKenzie. More than five, six, seven yards from the line of scrimmage. He has to become a designated target, almost a schemed target within like, hey, Josh, he's your second read. We're going to call this play where obviously Chris, can we can we agree? Diggs is probably the primary on most routes, all routes. Well, look at the way the season has gone. Look at his yardage. Like somebody put the stat on Twitter. The Bills have just as many more touchdowns and just as many yards between uh, Beasley and McKenzie or uh, Diggs and McKenzie this year as they did Diggs and Beasley last year. Like it's the same thing; they just have to go about doing it differently. Well, in this game, when they do decide, like, hey, we're going to play man and we're going to clamp down on Diggs, all right, then McKenzie has to be the guy. Gabe Davis, he's been a no-show. He's been a no-show for weeks. At this point, I just I don't feel like we can rely on him. Then you got McKenzie. But he's shown that he can be great when teams go to those man looks. You gotta be looking at him. You have to. Also, the next key is Dorsey effectively rushing and creating quote unquote time, is what I'd call it. Our offensive line is gonna get thrown into flux. Who plays left tackle, Chris? Uh, you? I mean, I have... I mean, I did wrestle with John Fina in a bar this summer, but I don't think that qualifies me to play left tackle. <laughs> I it could. Think, I don't think that it does it. So let's take a look. If I go to our lads and I look at our depth chart, I say to myself, okay, if we don't have Deion Dawkins, we have Dave Questenberry... He was all right. Yep. He was all right at right tackle. He could he could be our swing, and he could come over and play left tackle, I guess. I just don't see him being as prolific in pass protection. So that limits some of what we're going to be able to do. Also, hat-on-a-hat run blocking isn't likely to produce stellar results because of that. It's going to take a creative approach to the Bills' rushing game to establish some kind of balance in our offense. I think that they, first of all, need to 
not only increase play action passes, because that's been a thing that we've been banging the drum on, they don't throw enough. Like, play action passes makes the defense pause, makes them think about what they're seeing before they react and commit to their coverage responsibilities. That can buy a team with fast wide receivers like Khalil Shakir, James Cook, Dawson Knox, who's a size mismatch. It can give you those things in the middle when you're talking about the linebackers that we're not currently getting from this offense. At the same time, draw plays will force second-level defenders to kind of pause before going into pass rush or going into coverage. The Bills could mix that into their packages and find themselves a little bit of breathing room. Also, what they're going to need in terms of creating time for Josh Allen is a package of quick-developing underneath routes built into every major... like. Chris, there are plays that the Bills go into where you know that Josh is already looking to go 20 yards. Yeah. He wants, by nature of who he is and what he thinks this offense is capable of, his first look is to Diggs. His second look is to Gabe, and then maybe he comes back, or maybe it's Knox, and he goes, all right, you're not open in the seam. You're not to... They need to give him some, some easy layups down low so that he feels comfortable going, I can pitch this out to Cook on a nice, easy, not the turning catch from the Detroit game, yep. but on one of these plays where you kind of just dump it down, let him catch it on the run, a wheel route, and just let him carry upfield a little bit. It will make their linebackers respect the fact that you can't blitz the hell out of me because I will give it to this fast linebacker who will take off on you or this fast this running back. You, you're going to have to give that a quality check down option on most passing plays is going to have to be available. And you're also probably going to have to move the pocket to counteract the fact that even before Dawkins injury, you saw defenses lining up on Chris. How many times have you watched a Bills game and you're frustrated by the pressure coming off right tackle? Not often. Not often? No. I know you are. You're mad at everything. No, 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 no. But if you watch right tackle, Spencer Brown has had a rough month. He has. But that's not all his fault. Part of it is that they're overloading his side intentionally. Because the reality is Josh Allen is way more effective when he rolls out of the pocket to his right. Teams want to influence that, so they want to overload that side, push him to his left, make him th- make him do a thing he's not comfortable with. And so far, our, our offense has not done a great job of giving him options when that happens. He either takes sacks, he takes off and runs. It, it's just it's not a good situation. Dorsey has to wake up and realize, okay, if the pass rush comes from that side, and a team truly does overload. The other side isn't going to hold up as well as you're used to. So you're not going to be able to call a play, or you're at least going to have to build in audibles and options. You're going to be having that conversation pre-snap with Josh on every down. Before you snap this ball, understand, yeah, okay, they're, okay. I see the pass rush package you're putting together. They're going to be off right tackle. It's coming again. Your left tackle probably won't win his matchup. So it's going to be a quick out to the pressure side. To the pressure side, because you're going to get behind them and get numbers. And we're going to have plays built into the playbook to help support that play. It's, it's, these are just small wrinkles that Ken Dorsey can work into the playbook and work into his game preparation that could make this entire offense more successful. 
and then move the pocket a little bit just to counteract the fact that teams want him to roll that way. You can't just keep leaving it up to Josh. Josh is going to scramble around after we call all these option routes. He's going to make the magic. The guys will get open downfield. Josh will do what he does. It'll all be fine. It's the way Roy Williams used to coach North Carolina basketball. He'd never call a timeout, even when the other team went on like a 12-3 run to start a game. He's just like, no, I don't need to call a timeout. My guys are talented, and they'll just figure it out. That's the same approach. Now, Roy Williams is a good basketball coach. That's the same philosophy Ken Dorsey is applying to this offense. That doesn't work the same way. This is a totally different sport. Yes, these guys are otherworldly talented. We have the best quarterback in the AFC East. I still believe that. We have the best wide receiver in the AFC East. I still believe that. Those two get together and they make fucking magic. But they also need some help. They need some direction. And this whole thing will work a lot better if our offensive coordinator can just find a way to give it to them. The, one of the big ones is red zone design and execution. The Patriots are not only statistically staunch on defense, but they're the seventh best red zone defense in the NFL. That's a mismatch that absolutely favors them in this game. Now, sometimes when you're dealing with the public, Chris, something weird happens within our fan base that's absolutely fascinating to me. It's fueled one of my most recent Twitter spats. Uh, When Jerry Sullivan was writing about the Buffalo Bills, it was him being negative, and I hated his guts. I did. Some of what he was critiquing and being negative about was valid. But he didn't try to back it up with statistics. He didn't try to back it up with anything. He just said these things, and we all either agreed or hated him for it. So now we've reached a point as a fan base where there's, Chris, the Bills have been successful. True or false? They're always successful. Our GM and head coach are well regarded as two of the best at their jobs. Yes. Okay. Something happened within our fan base where... Fans, I think it's just you. No, no, but if you criticize them, there is all of a sudden, I think fans used to take a, well, show me a winner and then I'll believe you approach throughout the drought. When the drought ended, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott started winning. Now we've reached a place, though, where if you have any criticisms about this football team, by and large, the average football fan looks at you and goes, well, you know, you have, even if you approach them with, like me, even if you approach them with evidence that there are problems, I'm not just talking the Jerry Sullivan approach. I'm talking about nuanced opinions with data to back it up. They still take the approach that they're like, well, I believe in everything this team is doing because I'm in, I'm all in. I go, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm just all in. So we go to war with people on social media. And this is something, like, this is an example of it. The Bills are the 19th best offense in the NFL in the red zone in terms of touchdown percentage. The only teams in the NFL currently holding a playoff spot who are worse are Baltimore and Seattle. Everybody around them are teams with five or fewer wins. And oddly enough, the Bills are fielding what should be a better offensive line Similar skill players to what we had last year with a slightly better red zone running back stable and the same all-star quarterback as we did in 2021. Yet today I had this giant protracted back and forth 
And if you go out there and say Ken Dorsey stinks, sometimes people will come out of the woodwork to attack you, despite all the evidence, right? We've come full circle as a fan base. All these people who were waiting for evidence to say, listen, I'm not going to start watching the Bills again until you can show me that they're good. They've all gone the other way. And now they're saying, well, no matter what happens, anything they touch is gilded. And like, they're above reproach. And I've simply started referring to those people in our fan bases as Max. And this is exactly how they sound. I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in, and I'll never change. <laughs> Chris. Yeah, that is you. Yeah, except, you see, you say that. That is but you. you're one of these people. So here I am using facts to make a point. Today, I go, I go down this rabbit hole. I, t- I tweet out something, and Anthony Prohaska thought he was doing me a favor, right? So he, he, I don't even know if he thought he was doing me a favor. He tweeted out about Ken Dorsey, design calls. He's like, I'm very interested to see, you know, how he does his job. And I go, this, I go, this is how I'm going to watch the game. I'm not interested to see it, because I'm going to be watching it with both hands over my eyes, like a child watching a scary movie. And... He came back and was like, oh, would you have more confidence in Dorsey if he benched Allen for Keenum like you wanted? Now, first of all, it's a painful mischaracterization of what I wanted. I don't think it is. I think it is. And then some dickhead named Joe Diffie 99 decides he's going to come in and be like, oh, God, I'm kick rocks. Drew, nothing makes this dude happy. That's not wrong. So I went down a rabbit hole with him and I go, "Okay, let me show you some charts. And Chris... I sent them to you. You don't have to look at them. But it's red zone passing for 2022. Never mind Mahomes and Burrow. Josh Allen is a less efficient red zone passer this season than Mac Jones and Marcus Mariota. Okay. Inside the 10-yard line, Josh Allen leads all quarterbacks who have more than 20 red zone passing attempts with Three turnovers. The only one close to him, Mahomes just threw his second. Nobody else has more than that. But Mahomes has 30 more attempts than Josh Allen in the red zone. Also, their touchdown disparity is disgusting. So, I take a look at this and I say to myself, Josh Allen... He's got a 50% completion percentage inside the 20. Inside the 10, it goes down to 42. 42%. But in 2021, Josh Allen was among the league leaders in efficiency inside the 10. He had a completion percentage 10 points higher in the red zone than his current 42%. When you look at the, the changes on the roster, we lost Zach Moss. We gained Cook and Hines. We lost Cole Beasley, but we gained, we have Shakir, Sanders. Okay, we don't have Sanders anymore, but we have Davis. Like, the personnel turnover wasn't that significant. You still have Knox, but you did lose Dable, and you did bring in Dorsey. So, 
So then this guy comes back and he's like, oh, well, there was only a couple of games where play calling was in question. And I go, you're oversimplifying. It's not that he's, he goes, oh, well, he's new. He goes, everyone's so quick to blame struggles on Dorsey because it's new. It's so funny. I go, no, no, you're oversimplifying. And I wanted to add because you're a fucking dunce. It's not that he's new. These are tangible examples. They don't work play action into the attack. They run 25% less play action than they did in the past. You're not adding momentary hesitation to the linebacking and safety cores where you used to do it all the time and Josh Allen could just catch guys flat-footed, throwing to Cole Beasley over their shoulders, throwing to Dawson Knox as he's running past him because we know it's a pass play. You don't. We catch you off guard. We're doing that a quarter less than we used to. And then we wonder why our passing attack doesn't work. We're not utilizing running backs in the red zone well enough. It's it's a hilarious group of things that you put together. And I I just look at this and I say to myself, do, Chris, who else is to blame for that? Do we blame, I don't know, do we blame Josh? I don't know. We know you don't like him. What, don't like Josh? Yeah. I love Josh. The question is, I, that, the question is when the game gets put in Josh's hands and the offensive coordinator basically goes, well, I don't have an actual play. Just go out there and try to make something happen. Now what? That seems to be every trip to the red zone. Chris, Mac Jones, you just heard from Mark Schofield about what a rough season he's having. He's more efficient in the red zone than our quarterback. Okay. That's not on him, is it? All right. Can I, let me ask you a different question. Sure. This might be hard for you to, uh, to compute in your head. Who has more wins as a team? <laughs> See, and you're, one of, and you're one of these idiot fans that I will absolutely, like, listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about, like, oh, I'm going to challenge you on this, know that I'll bite your fucking ear off like Mike Tyson. I will come at you with stats. Like, I might be a drunk, but I'm a well-nuanced drunk. Yeah, I'm just going to go, okay. Well, we won the game. Yeah, and that's what makes and that's what makes you guys the dumbest portion of this fan base. <laughs> I hate you people. I really do. Cuz it's like, oh no, I'm dug in. I just believe that this team is good because I watched Josh Allen be good, so they'll always be good. No, there has been a fundamental change to the way we conduct business. A fundamental change, and no one else wants to admit it. So realistically, that cannot happen in this game. Not against a team with a stingy defense, and not one that's not going to give us much to work with overall, because they're a well-coached, well-conceived defense. There are things you can do. Running backs on designed passes. Make the running back position in this game a focal point of your passing attack on some downs. Like... You look at the number of linebackers, like you heard it from Mark, they're not going to attack us on the blitz. They're going to leave linebackers out in space. Mostly because they're watching Josh. Okay, well what we'll do is if you don't blitz us, we'll chuck it down to a line, to a running back who can get four yards per catch. You know what three four-yard catches is? That's a first down. Make them respect the line of scrimmage all the time. That's how the Bills are going to win this football game. Tight end usage has to increase. Well, what is it? Uh, Quentin Morris 
Yep. Fucking, they thought he was better than, what's his face, O.J. Howard, which I can't argue with. Have you heard of O.J. Howard since he was cut? No. He had one game for Cincinnati, and then I think since he cut him, he made it to Houston. I don't even know if he's playing. I'll give it a goog. The reality is, tight end usage is going to need to increase, not only for pass protection, but also because somebody has to catch the fucking ball. There is a mismatch here. Those linebackers aren't otherworldly. Matt Judon is their best one. He's a pass rusher. They don't have a Kyle Van Noy in his prime. They don't have a premier cover linebacker. Now, they will platoon their safeties down there. But as they're focusing on Dawson Knox, if you're going to try to augment the pass protection with another tight end, Quentin Morris seems like an option. Don't forget about Reggie Gilliam. There are these guys in your, like, there's guys you can turn to to help you in this football game. If you as the offensive coordinator just move off this idea that I can call a bunch of option routes and that's going to win the game for us because Josh's decision making is great. I just trust Josh. That's the laziest way to earn a fucking paycheck. So with that said, I really do expect, expect to see the best out of Ken Dorsey this week. I expect him to know that he's on the road in prime time in a must-win football game, and that he's going to be sharper and roll more of these ancillary positions that he's been forgetting about and underutilizing to the point where you hear Patrick Peterson in that win talking about how, oh, I knew what they were going to do in that play when I picked him off and won the game. Yeah. He's got he's got a month to change the narrative on how he conducts this offense and how predictable it is. He's got to start here, and I think those are the easy layup ways to do it. Make this passing attack more running back and tight end friendly. You do that, it'll go a long way towards not only helping us win the game, but towards changing what, especially in the red zone, helping what people think of this football team and helping our helping our scoring, helping our fortunes down the stretch. Because you're going to be playing a lot of teams in cold weather, potentially bad weather, that's scoring in the red zone comes at a premium. Right? Like that's yeah. what dictates games. We can't make we can't make the Super Bowl if you're one of the worst red zone teams. You can't. So Chris, for all of this, well, I trust him. Everyone's good. No one who's finished the regular season less than 20th in red zone scoring has ever won a Super Bowl. Is this where you want to be? Then fucking fix it, Ken Dorsey. <laughs> Guys, I can't wait to watch them sort this out. That'll be fun. You're coming over to watch the game on Thursday. Yeah, I feel bad for you guys. Yeah. Going to deal with me during this one? I'll liquor it up? Yep. <sighs> guys, this has been fun. Like I said, Kevin Bryant's book, Spies on the Sideline. Chris, what was the question again? Well, let me uh, pull it up. Or at least the player. That's where I found it on on their Wikipedia page. Which former or current Buffalo Bill was born in Smith Center, Kansas? That is the question. Tell us who it is, guys. DM us, email us, G, uh, RockPowerReport seven one six at gmail dot com. If you don't have Twitter, I, let us know. We'll go through all the correct answers. We will give, uh, like I said, we'll de- give us an avenue to get back to you. That's it. I don't give a shit whether you're following this. Chris, the way I treat Twitter, 
you know I don't care about our so our follower count. Don't yep. you don't have to be following us. Our our DMs are open. <laughs> I just want everybody to have fun with this. Same way I'm having fun with tonight, but we gotta get the hell out of here. Chris, I'm dreading the outcome of this. Like this is the start of a make or break start of part of our season. Yeah. And you paying for steak. God, I can't wait. We gotta get the hell out of here though. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your this has been your Rock Pod Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.